Hello, I'm Pastor Zach Hoffman, and I'm the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Gainesville, Georgia, where we seek to know Christ and love one another. We do this by witnessing faithfully, transforming our homes into places where the Word of God dwells, and by investing in the communities around us. We hope that you enjoy this podcast, and if you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning, our service times are at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. God's blessings. Once again, if you have your Bibles with you, I ask that you open up to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 31 through 46. So again, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. The same reading, of course, is available in your bulletin as well. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from Matthew chapter 25, verse 33. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. As I was thinking about Christ's return, one thought really just stuck out to me throughout this whole week, and that is is that when Christ returns, all of the sound, all of the noises that we are so accustomed to hearing, every voice will fall silent. And as I was considering that, I was sitting in a coffee shop here in Gainesville, and I took note of all the different sounds that I was hearing, all the mundane things that seemed to go on and on that we don't really notice. Around me were three or four casual conversations going on at once. There was a pleasant exchange at the coffee counter as an order was being placed, and at the other end of the counter, a name was being called out as that order was completed. There was the sound of the espresso machine as it was forcing steam through its system. And then there was the sound of the grinder grinding up coffee beans, the hum of refrigeration units and lights, the sound of traffic moving outside on the street, the breeze the music being played over the speakers in the coffee shop, and the music being played through my own headphones. And I realized that when that moment comes, when all falls silent, when every voice is finally stopped, that there will never be another moment like it again, and there has not been a moment like it since the world was created. When Jesus returns, it will be with his angels in all glory and honor and power. And his voice will be the only one talking. He will be the only one making a sound. All other activity will stop and come to a final halt. And he will speak the words of judgment, separating the sheep from the goats. And that's great news. And it's terrifying news at the same time. It's great news because there are so many who have worked oppression. There are so many who have worked against justice to cover up lies. There are so many who have used their power to hurt and abuse others. There are so many who have hidden behind bureaucracy and red tape so that they might get out of being accused of perpetrating evil. And all of that, all of it in every way, shape, and form will stop. Finally. Thanks be to God. But it's also terrifying news because in this day and age, we live in a judgment-addicted culture. We've been intoxicated by the power that judgment gives us and the many ways that we can share our voice and cast an opinion and throw stones at another person. It's overwhelming. And we've been sucked in it too many times. 
For example, we have a season coming up upon us that brings out the best in every man, woman, and child in America. That season is the election, right? It brings out the best in us. All of our virtues, who we are is on display, and the world is in awe. <laughs> Their mouths are wide open. They're gaping. <laughs> when one person's political views are announced, we so often act like we have a window to their soul, and we can see whether they are sheep or goat based simply on one aspect of their life, on how they vote. Our minds have been short-circuited around discussion and reasoning, and instead we go right to the core character of the person. We no longer talk about ideas when we disagree with one another, and that's whether it's politics or not. We no longer talk about ideas. We no longer discuss. When one person says something in disagreement with us, we leap right into, well, that's just how they are. Do you ever notice how good you are at picking up patterns of behavior in the people around you? Have you ever realized that you can detect how one person is based on just a few small microscopic interactions? And have you wondered how you got to be so good? It's because everyone around you is constantly under investigation. You are constantly seeking patterns, constantly looking for inroads into their heart and soul, into the things that you really cannot see. And I do it too, on occasion. Not to any of you, though. I love you. And in this world that we're living in, we must recognize that when Christ returns, all of that will come to a screeching halt as well. Jesus will come, and by his own authority, he will separate the sheep from the goats. He does not need our help. And he won't ask for it either, which is rude, after all of our practice, by the way. He alone has laid down his life for the sheep. He alone ascended to the right hand of the Father. He alone is worthy. He alone is righteous. He alone is pure. He alone can judge. To him be all glory and honor and power and might forever and ever. Amen. But as we look at the parable, there's a couple things that stick out to us, I think, about how the shepherd will judge when he comes. We find that first thing in verse 34. That after the world has fallen silent before Jesus, and after the sheep are separated from the goats, we find Jesus speaking. His voice comes out in verse 34. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Jesus doesn't judge the way that I think you or I would judge. Because if it were you or I, if we were Lord of heaven and earth, which we so desperately want to be, if we were Lord of heaven and earth, we would come and we would wipe out all of the enemies first. We would put them on display. We would humiliate them. We would call it every last evil thing they've ever, ever done and we make sure that they know that we know it and that they know why they are getting the punishment they're about to get. We do that first, take care of the problems, then move on to the other things. But Jesus comes first to bring grace. His first words in that hour of judgment when all eyes are on him and everything else has fallen silent is come, 
Maybe that throws us back to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55. I'm going to paraphrase here, but in Isaiah chapter 55, the Lord Yahweh speaks to the prophet Isaiah saying, Come, all who are thirsty. Come, all who are hungry. Come, you who have no money, come buy and eat. And then a, a feast is envisioned, a free food, a free wine, a free meat, a free water. Jesus invites those who have given food, clothing, water, shelter, hospitality, and visitation to his brothers without a thought for themselves, without thinking about the return. He invites them to receive everything they've sacrificed and to receive it several times over. When Jesus rewards the sheep, he will give them several times over everything that they have given for the sake of the kingdom. But then there's also this. Still in verse 34. Jesus then says, after he says, Come, you are blessed by my Father. The next words are, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The kingdom is prepared for the sheep. The sheep aren't just regular sheep. The sheep are heirs of the entire kingdom. And that kingdom was prepared for them from before the day that they were born. In fact, their actions, their behavior that Jesus calls out now and, and honors is simply just a result of God's choosing of them. That what they have done is merely the product of God calling them and creating faith in their hearts, and then they go about doing these things, which shows evidence that God was the one who called them in the first place. In John, Jesus says that he is leaving his disciples to go and prepare a place for them. And on this day, the sheep will find out exactly how true this is. The kingdom is being prepared to be given to the heirs, his sheep. And you can contrast that with what Jesus says elsewhere. In verse 41, he says to the goats, verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the goats? No. Prepare for the devil and his angels. Goats by nature are free-range, stubborn creatures who do not listen to the voice of their shepherd. In this case, these goats who've been around the voice of their shepherd, as we can tell from elsewhere in this text. And he has come near to them. These goats have rejected offer after offer after invitation to finally come home. And in the end, when the kingdom is given to the sheep, there's simply no place for the goats to go. Jesus doesn't glory or delight in the fact that these goats are going to be cast into this fire. It's not a fire that was prepared for them, but it's the only place left to them. They were not chosen from before the world to be cast into those flames. But rejection after rejection has left them homeless in this hour. God does not delight in condemnation. He does not delight in casting the goats into hell. And when we consider our judgment of others, neither should we. But there's one thing that we need to understand that really transforms this entire teaching for us. There's one thing here that sort of 
makes us look at this in a different way, or at least that's what I believe. And so as we, as we look at this, we need to see what happens when Jesus talks to the sheep. Verse 35, he begins by saying, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or, or in prison and visit you? And here it is. The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, my brothers, you did it to me. Who are the brothers? The easy answer is to say, well, yeah, all believers. But no, 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 the believers are the sheep. The unbelievers are the goats. Jesus, of course, is the shepherd and the king. Who are the brothers? The brothers are Jesus' apostles, those who are sent out with the gospel message. And we could spend a lot of time making this case for you. I'm going to point to one verse. If you have questions, I can share more Bible anytime. I'm delighted to. But Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, after Jesus rises from the dead, the women are there at the tomb, right? And Jesus says to the woman, tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. And afterwards, the disciples meet Jesus in Galilee. And so then these brothers are sent out in Matthew chapter 28. We have the Great Commission. Jesus is talking to his disciples, right? His 11 disciples. And he's saying, go into the world, baptize then he says, teach. And so the brothers then are those, initially apostles, but after that, those who proclaim the gospel, those missionaries and evangelists and pastors and preachers and Sunday school teachers and small group leaders and those who carry the word out into their neighborhoods and out into workplaces and out to family and out to friends. It is those who bear the message of the gospel. And it is great news that, that this is what Jesus is basing the judgment upon. Because it frees us up from a terrible conclusion. Because if we look at this teaching just all by itself, if we only read this and didn't have any other context to work with, we would think that we are saved by our works. And then all of a sudden we begin to think that the gospel is just about us going out there and doing social justice. We would begin to think that you could tell how good a church actually is by how many exactly of the homeless have they fed. Or we would begin to think that a church is good because they covered all the bases. They not only fed the poor, but they also made sure that those who had clothes needed it. They visited every prisoner. They did all these things. They are worthy sheep, and they are the ones who are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. But when we understand that it is actually those who bring the gospel who are the brothers, and that the evaluation is on how they treat those, we begin to realize that how you receive the messenger is how you receive the message. How you receive the messenger is how you receive the message. Let's say some stranger came in here and preached the gospel to you, and it was a great sermon, and you loved it, and it was wonderful, and then after that sermon, you grabbed him, threw him down the hill, and stoned him until he was dead. And you would walk away saying, wow, that was a really good sermon. I believed every word he said. Right? No, no, no. How you receive the messenger is how you receive the message. And so then out of faith, now the grace that they have received, 
these sheep then are kind to Jesus' brothers. So often we are so judgmental of the church itself. We look around and we say, well, there is no activity going on here. I don't see any good works. Oh, and they're not doing this, therefore they must not care about these people. Jesus looks at a church and he's asking, who has believed my gospel? And if you show me a church that believes the gospel, then you will see a church that is also busy and good works, even if those good works are undetectable. In fact, look at the sheep. They don't even know what they're doing. Right? They're not even aware of the good things that they had done. So how could we look at a church and cast judgment on it and say they're not doing enough good things when the people who were doing the good things forgot what they did and got commendation for it anyway? We ought to humble ourselves when we look at the church and look for the gospel. Second thing about this you know, idea that the brothers are the apostles and the disciples, is that it means that what Jesus says at the end of his gospel is true. That Jesus says to his apostles, his disciples, that I will be with you even to the end of the age. And at the beginning of Matthew, we have that Jesus is going to be given the title of Emmanuel, which means God with us. But this is a surprising dimension to that whole idea of God being with us. Jesus says, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers, you have done to me. It means that Jesus is so thoroughly present with us that I can't think a thing or do a thing or say a thing about or to my brother or sister in Christ without me first doing that to Jesus. Likewise, you can't think, say, or do a thing to another brother or sister in Christ without those actions, words, or thoughts first falling on Jesus. He is right in the middle of all of us in a very thorough and complete way. And that should change how we view one another. It means then, if Christ is present with us, that instead of judgment, forgiveness will reign. Mercy will reign. And patience will reign. Because he is those things. And finally, in this last little part about the brothers, just because the brothers are the ones who preach the gospel, it doesn't mean that as a church we get to sit here and just wait for somebody to come along, sit where we're comfortable and wait for someone to come along and preach the gospel to us so that we can be nice to them. Look at all the places where Jesus is found here. I was hungry, you gave me food. Thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, in prison. Jesus is found among those who make us uncomfortable. And when we talk as a church about investing in community, it's a part of our vision statement, investing in community, it means that we go to those who are in need, those who are hurting, and we find Jesus' brothers among them, and we support them and pray for them and help them and share in the tasks that they do so that the gospel might multiply. Just to know that Jesus' brothers are those who come and preach the gospel doesn't give us an excuse to sit here comfortably and wait for somebody to bring it to us. But perhaps the most amazing aspect of this teaching is how, again, Jesus comes to judge. 
and in what way? Because as I look at these sheep, and I myself am a sheep, and you are a sheep, you know how it goes. There had to be some scandal in there, right? They weren't just purely doing good works and living out in this pristine faith, but there had to be some kind of scandal in there. These sheep are sinners. We're sinners. We're sheep. We know because we are them, right? And so we know that they didn't do these things perfectly. We know that there are times where they turned aside when they should have looked forward. We know that there are times where they neglected to meet the needs of other people. And yet, the things that we dwell upon, the things that we cannot forget, Jesus has completely forgotten. He has come as the shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep. He has, restored, he has destroyed their sin already. He has borne it in his body. And then the things that we forget, the things we're not even aware of that we did, Jesus takes careful accounting of those. And he surprises his sheep by saying all that they had done to his brothers. Jesus comes in judgment. And he will silence the judgment of the world. He will also silence the judgment that we constantly cast upon ourselves and the church and replace it with mercy and love. Jesus will come in judgment, but he will come as a shepherd who loves, who loves his sheep. Amen. Amen.